Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Stellar crop of space stories with colliding black holes, mosh pit of stars, and even near-Earth asteroids. So we found again some supermassive black holes smashing into each other and picked them up using LIGO. Sound familiar? We'll tell you more about it. Plus, we found out about mosh pits full of stars, the chances of alien life actually ever reaching us, and near-Earth asteroids. When you think about space, you think it's about something that's really, really open, and Earth really only having one companion, the Moon. If you watch QI, you'll probably hear about more unusual and interesting things out there in space orbiting Earth as well. Satellites, small asteroids, and so on. Or even the massive space junk that's up there. If you've seen gravity, for example, you understand how deadly and devastating that can be. But researchers from the Jet Propulsion Laboratories at NASA, or JPL, have found a small asteroid that pretty much has a perfect orbit, much like the moon, around Earth. And this tiny little asteroid, called 2016 HO3, appears not only to circle around Earth, as well as completing a full proper orbit around the sun, much in the same way the Earth and the moon do, which would make it pretty much near-perfect textbook companion, or moon almost, to Earth. Probably a bit small to be a moon, but it is definitely a quasi-satellite. So HO3 loops around Earth in a pretty stable orbit, and it also loops around the sun together at the same time as Earth. And therefore, the definition that NASA is giving it particularly NASA's Centre for Near-Earth Objects, NEO, has classified it as pretty much a quasi-satellite. And it joins other asteroids like 2003 YN107, which has a similar orbital pattern, which was found over 10 years ago. Now, sadly, 2003 YN107 actually left Earth's orbit now and it go on somewhere else. So it was stable around us for a short period of time and then disappeared. But, but all data gathered so far about 2016 HO3 suggests that it has been a stable satellite, quasi-satellite, of Earth for almost a century, and will keep going in this pattern for centuries to come. Which means it's not just a fleeting guest in our local environment, our near-Earth orbit or near-Earth objects. It's a quasi-permanent resident. It's basically another satellite for the planet Earth to go with our moon. One of the things we're all really confident about space is that it is a huge place. And there's really just a lot of space there, hence the name space. But you don't really think about it being crowded and jammed in. Our solar system is is pretty wide and spacious, so to speak. And, you know, there is eight major planets and then a variety of dwarf planets around one star. But that isn't the norm across the universe. I mean, if you look at planetary clusters in nebulae and other places, you can see a lot of things all squished into the one space. Binary stars or even trinary stars with huge gas giants in really close orbits is actually surprisingly quite common. And researchers from Northwestern University have actually detected mosh pits in space. So researchers from Northwestern University have recently found some very interesting results using LIGO. 
and have published their results in the Astrophysical Journal and are speaking about it at the American Astronomical Society's major meeting this month. And so we've heard about LIGO before, mostly around the conversation detecting gravitational waves. But LIGO is the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory, this really big long tunnel that uses really calibrated sensors to detect slight movements in these laser beams or these light beams. And anyway, it's been used for many things, from detecting gravitational waves to supermassive black holes. But in this instance, the researchers from Northwestern University using the LIGO data results have actually picked up something that would explain the merger of two massive black holes that was detected last year that was used to help discover gravitational waves. So when black holes sort of merge together, they produce all kinds of variety and fascinating particles and things that we can pick up, as well as ch massive changes in the, the fabric of space-time, which is what LIGO was actually picking up. And LIGO, when LIGO picked up these two like black holes colliding into each other, it was amazing, and we didn't really understand why this bizarre thing had happened. But these researchers have actually figured out a probable explanation for the cause of that. Now, one star on, an own, on its own is pretty normal. Binary star systems are actually reasonably common. But what they actually were looking at here were binary black holes. And the understanding now is that these were born, these binary black holes were actually stars originally, of course, and then went large and at the end of their life collapsed in on themselves to become black holes. But they're actually born in a chaotic mosh pit of a global cluster of stars. And eventually when they sort of started to collapse in on themselves, the gravitational impacts around them and the other things around them sort of kick them out of this mosh pit of stars, leaving the two of them sort of stuck together and then colliding eventually together and merging into one black hole. And this theory is called dynamical formation theory. And it's pretty much one of the two ways that a, a binary black hole could sort of be formed. So normally when you think about colliding anything, you think of like a huge explosion or maybe something that you could see or light or something. But with black holes, things that capture all light and most things that get emitted by it, when they collide, it, it, it's really kind of confusing about how you actually pick that up. And that's where the data from LIGO has been super useful. So now... Using the data from LIGO, instead of trying to guess and understand how on earth these two black holes managed to run into each other, we can actually have measurable results by looking at the changes in gravita gravitational fields around them, gravitational waves, to actually explain why these two black holes merged into each other and where they came from and how it worked. So now using this LIGO data, they're actually able to understand what led them to get to this amazing collision in the first place. So this is some great research being done out of Northwestern University. Now you probably remember the big hubbub last year when we discovered two black holes colliding in space and picked them up using LIGO the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory. And from that, we actually were able to confirm the existence of gravitational waves. And we did that using an amazing, what we thought was incredibly unique scientific event, two black holes colliding, which in the grand scheme of things sounds absolutely terrifying and B, amazingly interesting to watch. Especially because since these things absorb all light, and anything escaping from them, it's really hard to actually pick them up in the first place. And we thought we'd really stumbled onto a rare moment, and it was a real great breakthrough. 
But on December 26, Boxing Day, in 2015, at about 3.40 in the morning, scientists observed a second set of gravitational waves, more ripples extending out in the fabric of space-time. And they'd seen these type of things before. It's in fact the second time they'd picked up ripples in the fabric of space-time, gravitational waves, from the collision of two black holes. Now, that means that after travelling for about 1.4 billion years, gravitational waves from this amazing collision of two stellar giants have been picked up again on Earth. And, you know, it's the second one in almost a year, and that, you know, seems quite surprising. We thought this was some crazy unique event in the history of the universe, but we've just picked up another one. Two. Sort of changes our view on the scheme of things. Now, the other interesting part about this is that it does give us more data to confirm our theory on gravitational waves, which is proving to be quite solid at this point, which is very good news. Now, as we talked about recently and several times in this show, gravitational waves carry information about the origins and nature of the gravity and, you know, that otherwise cannot be obtained from other, other measurements. And it's really useful to use gravitational waves to study things like the collision of two black holes because otherwise you have no light, so you can only infer stuff about them. Now, in these two, in this instance, it actually involved two stars, two black holes, which were about, one was about 14 times as big as the sun, and the other one about eight times. And they combined to form one supermassive black hole that's about 20 times the mass of the sun. And what's very interesting about this is that this is actually much, much smaller than the one we detected last time, uh, the second, the original collision that we helped define, define gravitational waves, which was many, many times larger than this so this means that we are probably in many more collisions of these black holes out there than we first thought about and we're able to now refine our search to look for even these smaller collisions and so from this collision this crash that occurred about 1.4 billion years ago that we're only now receiving data from as it travels all the way across the universe we actually picked up the gravitational waves these really strange vibrations from the last 27 orbits as they circle each other right to the very end before they collide. And that, that whole process took about 1.1 milliseconds. So it's, we're not looking for really long periods of data here. And so the way LIGO works, as we spoke about before, is actually it's two, it's twin uh, research detectors. Basically one located in Livingston, Louisiana, and the other located in Hanford in Washington, pretty much on either ends of the country. And soon they'll be joined by another interferometer, the European interferometer Virgo, which will come online in the near future. And with three of those together, we're probably going to find a lot more interesting things out there. And it means that we can get data on really strange, unusual cosmic events that we thought were pretty rare may turn out to be more interesting. Plus, it helps confirm our understanding of gravity and gravitational waves with more sample points. It's always good to have some more data to back up your results and theory. So with all these amazing and unusual cosmic events out there, it makes us wonder about the other big cosmic question. Are we alone in the universe? 
Or, another way of putting it, if the universe is so huge and so amazing with all these crazy things happening, even things we thought were very, very rare actually turning out to be reasonably common, what about other life? Where is everybody? We can't surely be the only thing left. And these questions are summarized in two real famous theories. One is called the Fermi Paradox, named after famous physicist Enrico Fermi. And the other one is the Drake Equation, which sort of, they sort of complement each other, uh, which basically tries to probabilistically calculate the, the that result. But Fermi's paradox basically states, uh, if there's billions of galaxies out there, and probably there'll be some that are similar to the sun, and they'll all should be very much older than Earth, billions of years older than Earth, there should be a reasonably high also probability that some of these stars have Earth-like planets, and if Earth is somewhat typical, then surely some of them might develop intelligent life. And if these uh, civilizations have been around for billions of years longer than us, then maybe they've had the chance to develop or even achieve interstellar travel, considering that's what we're doing now. And that's just in our galaxy. What about the millions of other galaxies out there? So when you put all these together, the big question arises is where is everybody? And that's what Fermi's paradox and the Drake equation are all about calculating. So Cornell University student, Evan Solomendez, who's done some calculation on this and presented his results at the American Astronomical Society's meeting in June, have come to the conclusion that we can relax at least a little bit. That taking on board Fermi's paradox and throwing it at the pairing of the mediocrity principle, um, basically meaning that we're not really that special, we can't be, it would be quite unusual if we were, at least the least likely explanation. That, well, all things considered, even if there is life out there, they probably wouldn't phone home to Earth anyway, or at least come try out their data reach Earth for at least another 1,500 years. So, space is a big place, yep. And we haven't heard from aliens yet. So, obviously, even if they were out there, they haven't. we haven't heard it yet. But it doesn't mean that no one is out there. So then if you look at all the star systems around us, it takes light, or any signal really, a lot of time to travel across the vast distances of space. And given that in mind, even if you looked at other places that may have developed Earth-like stars, this should take a long time for those signals to reach us. This collision of these two black holes we talked about earlier took 1.1 billion years to actually get to us. So with that in mind, that probably explains why we haven't heard anything. So, we've been broadcasting for about... Oh, just over 100 years into a variety of signals, radio and telegraph and television and now even satellites and a bunch of other stuff. So we've been broadcasting for a while now, right? Which is great. But these signals have been traveling away from Earth at the speed of light for 80 to 100 years. And that means they've only got 80 to 100 light years away from Earth. And that's about 8,531 stars and roughly 3,500 Earth-like planets. So that's that's not probably enough to have that probabilistic ratio guarantee that somebody else has heard or even thought of our signals. Because, you know, even in our small, tiny galaxy, there's about 200 billion stars. To get the real benefits of this probabilistic benefit of so many data points that surely some of them has what we're the right conditions for or looking for, which is basically the way that the Fermi paradox and the Drake equation work, well, that means that we need to wait for our signals from Earth to encompass at least half of our galaxy alone, let alone the rest of the galaxies out there. So for that to happen, we need to be transmitting 
or at least waiting another 1500 years for the signals we've already transmitted to reach and cover all half of the Milky Way galaxy. So when you think about it, we may not be alone in the universe, but it's going to take a long time for anyone to really be aware of our presence, and let alone for us to be able to be aware of their presence as well, but just because of the huge distances and time it takes for signals to travel across the vast voids of space. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. You can find out about more colliding black holes, plus a near-Earth little satellite asteroid that we have tagging around, mosh pits full of stars, and the likelihood of signals from alien life reaching us. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.